Oppo. I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is by David Weiner. Is Wall Street ready for psychedelics? Then we have an article by Alexander Saidi. Hardcore sleepers obsess over their snoozing stats. Menjoy Sun wrote an article, Is wearing socks to bed healthier or just psychopathic? Andy Kessler has an article, No, AI machines can't think. And we'll follow that up with Our Dog Who Art in Heaven by Mike Kerrigan. So let's begin with today's first article, and all these are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. Is Wall Street ready for psychedelics? Psychedelics spent a half century in political and medical purgatory. Now they're starting to go mainstream. Respected academic institutes and billionaires are funding research into their therapeutic benefits, and the Food and Drug Administration could soon approve MDMA, known more commonly as ecstasy, for a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. The therapeutic potential of these drugs looks promising, but Wall Street and Big Pharma are still not convinced of the financial potential. Intellectual property is one big concern. While new compounds discovered in a lab can often lead to over a decade of exclusive profits for a pharma company, psychedelics like LSD and phylloxybin, the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms, have been around for a long time. This makes patenting them more controversial. Companies are patenting formulations of the drugs, but questions about patent protection abound. Then there are the trips, which can take patients on whirlwind journeys through the recesses of their minds, lasting six to eight hours. From a therapeutic perspective, the altered perceptions might be the whole point. The trips have shown the potential to rewire the brain in a process known as neuroplasticity. There are also companies developing tweaked versions of those drugs that reduce the highs while hoping to still provide therapeutic benefits. But from a financial perspective, the inconsistency of psychedelic experiences and the fact that they require hands-on psychological therapy make for a difficult investment pitch. Treatment is typically administered in a specialized facility under supervision by psychiatric professionals, which is costlier and harder to scale up than simply providing medicine. It's not the same as going to your pharmacy and picking up a pill bottle, said Brian Abrahams, an analyst at RBC Capital Markets. The industry's market performance reflects such fears, which are magnified at a time when higher rates make riskier stocks harder to own. The advisor share psychedelics ETF is down over 80% since its 2021 inception. Shares in Atai Life Sciences, a prominent startup backed by billionaire Peter Thiel, are down over 90% since going public at a $3 billion valuation. 
True, the entire biotech industry has been negatively affected by higher rates, but there is still plenty of investor appetite for high-quality biotech companies, many of which are getting snapped up by big pharma at massive premiums these days. That is especially the case in the psychiatric realm, where available treatments are far from ideal and many patients are stuck with no helpful options. Yet save for Atsuka Pharmaceuticals' $59 million acquisition last year of Mindset Pharma, the industry has steered clear of psychedelics. MAPS Public Benefit Corporation, which has raised money from billionaires like New York Mets owner Stephen Cohn, last month filed an application with the FDA for approval of MDMA in combination with talk therapy to reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. The fact that the first possible approval for MDMA could go to a nonprofit underscores how it's been idealism and not just profits pushing the industry forward. The questions swirling around the economics of psychedelics don't mean that there won't be money to be made or that this isn't a therapeutic area worth investigating. Many of the proponents of such drugs, in fact, are very worried about corporations profiting from the gifts of nature. Serious researchers are also concerned about potential blowback if things move too fast. People forget that there were years of glowing reviews in the 1950s and 1960s before the press turned alarmist and a government clampdown prevented research progress for decades. David Yaden, a professor in psychedelic research at Johns Hopkins University, wrote with two colleagues. For businesses that can navigate the FDA hurdles, medical reimbursement coding, and intellectual property rights, there could yet be a significant market. The path is being paved by Big Pharma. Johnson & Johnson's Spravato, a chemically related version of ketamine, that was approved by the FDA in 2019 for treatment-resistant depression is carving out a new business model. Sales of Spravato, which must be administered in a treatment center, are expected to climb to about $1 billion this year, according to analysts polled by Visible Alpha. Matthew Perry's recent death from acute effects of ketamine sparked controversy around the drug, though the concentration in his system suggested he had taken it at home without supervision. Ketamine can produce out-of-body hallucinogenic sensations, but it is nothing like magic mushrooms or LSD. Yet its growing use sets a precedence, said Thomas Schrader, an analyst at BTIG. If the number of sites administering Spravato continues to grow, they will help expand the new world of interventional psychiatry, he said. Compass Pathways has the largest market capitalization among psychedelic companies and is seeking to be the first to receive FDA approval for a synthetic formulation of the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms. The company is currently conducting a late-stage study that is likely to wrap up next year. If successful, it could lead to FDA approval sometime in 2026, according to Chief Executive Kabir Nath, who has held leadership positions at pharma companies like Atsuka and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Psychedelics won't bring world peace, and they probably won't be huge blockbusters either. 
but in the difficult field of treatment for mental illness, their revival could be a helpful advance for some patients and some long patient innovators. And now, hardcore sleepers obsess over their snoozing stats. What if sleep isn't just our body's way to repair and re-energize, but a game we are playing to win? Sound like a bad dream? Maybe, but for millions, chasing winks with the latest sleep measuring technology has become a nighttime sport, complete with sleep scores and strategies on how to best sack the competition. Some people are even, well, losing sleep about whether they are sleeping up to their full potential. Mike Skerritt, a 27-year-old television writer in Los Angeles, wears a whoop band to track his biometrics constantly. I take it off sometimes in the shower, he clarifies. The device, popular for measuring workouts, says it can track rest cycles at night, helping to optimize your sleep performance. He has deployed tactics including blackout curtains and taping his mouth shut to max out his WHOOP sleep score. He admits his preoccupation with shut-eye may have veered towards the obsessive. I think if you were to ask my girlfriend whether the first thing I do every morning is wake up and wait to hear from the WHOOP how I have slept, he says, she would answer in the affirmative. Many restless dozers have already drifted beyond counting sheep to the growing array of sleep gadgets. Now, type A Z seekers also aim to conquer bedtime with the dedication of marathoners. I am disciplined and competing my ass off to get somewhere between 8 and 7 hours every night, Michael Gervais, a performance psychologist who advises executives and athletes, said on his podcast recently. Ten years ago, a lot of people would beat their chests and say, I'm a grinder. I'm working on five and a half hours of sleep, Gervais says. Now, more people are attuned to the science, which shows that if you want to live a good life, prioritizing sleep will be one of the best practices you can do. Claude Cheville, 31, a designer and illustrator living near Sydney, Australia, and her partner, Slawawir Dimorovitz, a 35-year-old researcher, I trying a new game, Pokemon Sleep, hoping cute digital monsters will help their rest. Now you can turn your sleep into entertainment with Pokemon Sleep, says the company website. It has been downloaded 10 million times since its release in July. After the couple tuck in, they turn on the Pokemon app to monitor their sleep cycles and then in the morning check their sleep scores before having coffee. He has become very competitive and has made incredibly detailed spreadsheets that track every single aspect of the game, Cheville says. Despite that, his sleep scores are still neck and neck with mine throughout the week, which I find quite funny. High-achieving sleepers playing over a few nights might see a shiny Pokemon appear on their app, a rare treat with no tangible in-game value besides bragging rights. It's something to look forward to when I wake up, says Ryan Cardenas, a 30-year-old realtor who lives in Harker Heights, Texas, and has been playing Pokemon Sleep for almost two months. Another gadget, the Aura Ring, retails for $300 and requires a monthly paid membership. 
It tracks biometrics through infrared LED lights that beam from the ring into the finger, all of which feed into Aura's algorithm to determine sleep quality. Emily Botkal, a 54-year-old Chicago marketing consultant, has worn an Aura ring for more than a year. She says a combination of getting older and spending long hours on a computer has made slumber more challenging. Each morning, a readiness score on the Aura app tells her how well she slept. She believes it's done a good job, but she has had psychological side effects. A low score reminds me of getting a bad grade in school, Bacal says. Occasionally, if I'm having trouble sleeping, I stress about getting a low score. A few times, I've taken the ring off in the middle of the night just so I don't have to see a low score. Scientists have already coined a term for that, orthosomnia or an anxiety about optimizing sleep that can lead to trouble sleeping. The good thing about these apps and devices is that people are thinking more about what their sleep looks like and what they might be able to do to improve it, says Dr. Arik Prather, a sleep scientist at the University of California, San Francisco. The dark side is that people can get really hyper-focused on sleep. Pokemon Sleep says a good night's rest should total around eight and a half hours, but many need less. I do think the game promotes oversleeping, said Joshua Brissick, a 28-year-old graduate student living outside Detroit. He normally wakes up after 7.5 hours of sleep, but says now, since he's playing a sleep game, I close my eyes again, hoping to gain that extra hour, which usually leaves me feeling worse than if I just got up. And now, Menjoy Sons is wearing socks to bed healthier or just psychopathic? Before going to sleep in a hotel room he shared with his brother recently, Matthew Johnson slipped wool socks over his feet. He did what? My brother saw me putting on socks and he was like, that's crazy, you're a crazy person says Johnson, who is a senior at George Mason University in Virginia. A growing understanding of the importance of sleep for health and lifespan has made slumber hacks and gadgets all the buzz, including the increasingly common advice to sleep with socks. But an undercover inquiry by the Wall Street Journal finds that socks in bed is dividing couples and the public square. Opponents physically recoil at the notion and say people who snooze in socks can't be trusted. That's just psychopathic behavior right there, wearing socks to bed, said Sean McMahon, a 32-year-old retail worker in Deltona, Florida, who called a former roommate weird for doing so. He recalls once watching a murder mystery movie where a character wearing socks to sleep was the killer. In Virginia, Johnson wasn't always a socker. He wore them, a pair of generic Walmart Walmart socks, to sleep for the first time after reading about the benefits. The first night, it feels like you've put your feet into jail, he recalls. Your feet are like, get me out of here. But he woke feeling more rested. So now, Johnson has a few pairs of boot-length wool socks that he specifically wears to sleep. After his nightly shower, he kicks the air conditioner in his room to about 65 degrees, puts on socks, and drifts off. There's something primal about it, he says. It triggers that response in your brain of, like, I'm a caveman 
sleeping in a cave right now. I am safe. Time to go to bed now. Authorities from the Cleveland Clinic to the University of Florida Health have expounded on the positives of sleeping in socks. A journal published in a study published in the Journal of Physiological Anthropology found that young men fell asleep 7.5 minutes faster, slept 32 minutes longer, and woke up 7.5 times less often than those not wearing socks. It might seem socks would make you too toasty, but counterintuitively, researchers say, socks help lower core temperatures, a process that assists sleep. Chilly feet can raise the temperature by sending more blood and heat to core areas, according to the Cleveland Clinic, which explains. So, what does adding in a fluffy pair of socks do? Those cuddly duds warm your feet, relaxing and widening blood vessels that constricted while cold. This improved blood circulation in your overall body helps release more heat through your skin. Dr. Michael Brias, a clinical psychologist and sleep specialist, says he has been been prescribing the sock method to couples with sleep compatibility issues. Brees, a self-described sleep matchmaker, would recommend the partner who feels colder at night wear socks to bed. Statistics and footnotes on the topic are limited, though one small study suggested 63% of us don't sleep with socks on, 25% sometimes do, and nearly 12% regularly do. The informal study on a Reddit forum generated comments such as, I sleep with socks when I'm too drunk to take them off, and honestly, waking up with socks on is worse than the hangover. Not surprisingly, Big Sock is getting involved. Darn Tough Vermont, a merino wool socks manufacturer, describes itself as team almost every situation calls for socks, but recognize the nuance in a blog post. Just like pineapple as pizza topping, there are many people firmly in the camp 100% yes and camp absolutely not. The company even added the question, sleep in socks or not, to applications for brand ambassadors who promote its products. Courtney Lagner, a 37-year-old brand and community marketing manager there, diplomatically toes the line down the middle. At home in Plainfield, Vermont, she practices the one sock on, one sock off method, meaning she'll go to bed with both socks on and then kick one off before falling asleep. Wagner, a mother of two kids under the age of five, has tried other sleep aids, but says, for me, taking off that one sock is like taking off a bra at the end of the day. It is like I found my comfort and now I'm ready to sleep. Her husband, Matthew Wagner, a no-socker, thinks she is crazy for doing so and hates finding random discarded socks come Saturday morning when they change the sheets. It always amazes me how many socks fall out the end, says Matthew, a 38, a general contractor. It's anywhere from two to six pairs or whatever depending on the week. Tyler Robbins, a 43-year-old quality control inspector in Section, Alabama, says wearing socks to bed is crucial to his sleep regimen. Without them, it just doesn't feel right, he says. It feels like my feet are naked and I don't like it. Robbins' wife, Brandy Robbins, a 40-year-old school teacher, has called him out on his socking habit among friends and family. 
She prefers to go sockless even though her feet get chilly at night. How does she warm them up? The sock guy. Brandy says her frigid feet will trespass onto Tyler's side of the bed for warmth. Tyler says her feet are ice blocks that make him jump. His retort, I don't see how your feet don't just fall off because they're so cold. In Southland, Indiana, Nemeth McCormick, 23, was intrigued by the socks in bed strategy. Getting good sleep helps him keep a set schedule, live streaming and editing for his work as a content creator. But he tried it and didn't like it. It feels a little off, he says, and plus I like that little bit of breeze on your feet. And now, no, AI machines can't think by Andy Kessler. Be ready for it. Sometime soon, the Digerasi will declare that artificial intelligence machines have passed the Turing test and thus the era of superintelligence and sentient computers has arrived. The promised land is artificial general intelligence, AGI. Don't fall for it. Your cranial cavity's inner voice and self-awareness explain why. In 1950, computing pioneer Alan Turing proposed a simple imitation game test to answer the question, can machines think? If an interrogatory blindly connected to a machine and a human can't tell the difference based on their answers, then the machine can think. Turing thought that by 2,000 machines would be able to imitate humans 70% of the time after five minutes of discussion. He then brushed off his own analysis by saying, the original question, can machines think, I believe too meaningless to deserve discussion. Instead, the Turing test simply measured if machines could fool humans. Look up the verb ape. Nevertheless, fear mongers are out in force. In Silicon Valley, what goes for a cocktail party conversation now includes the question, what's your PDU? This is a geek class measure of the probability that AI will existentially wipe out mankind. Many answer over 30. Mine is zero. There are so many flaws in a simple Turing test. You think AI hallucinates or makes stuff up? Many real-life thinking machines, you know, the ones with skin, also sound unreal. Men can get pregnant, bored apes, NFTs are valuable, man buns, peaceful protests. Mustafa Suleiman, chief executive of Inflection AI and a co-founder of DeepMind, which Google bought, recently proposed a new Turing test. Provide a machine $100,000 and see if it can turn it into $1 million perhaps using Alibaba and an e-commerce site. It's silly because by this measure, a decent spam bot is intelligence. Ada Lovelace, the 19th century mathematician, was ahead of her time. Of Charles Babbage's early computer, invented in 1837, she wrote a few years later, the analytical engine has no pretensions to originate anything. It can do whatever we know how to do in order to it to perform. A Lovelace test might be, can AI generate something truly original and enjoyable, not the proverbial novel typed by a thousand monkeys? Same for movies, music, and art. 
Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute professor Selma Bringsjord proposed a better Lovelace test in 2001 to detect creativity. What's really needed is solid definitions of thinking, intelligence, and sentience. Computers are already better than humans at many tasks. Unless you're a rain man, spreadsheets can add rows of numbers faster than you can. Uber can outperform dispatchers. In 2016, Google showed off a computer that beat humans at the game Go. In 1997, IBM's Deep Blue beat grandmaster and journal contributor Gary Kasparov in chess by calculating several hundred million potential moves per second. IBM Watson's even won the TV game Jeopardy. Impressive. But these are finite limits. Let's call them two-dimensional. Chess has 64 squares and 16 pieces per side with a set of rules. OpenAI's large language models for ChatGPT have more than a trillion parameters, many of them copyrighted, and massive servers, but it's still finite. Compute power wins in rules of defined rules. But life doesn't have rules. Humans are 3D or 4D or of limitless depth. We have almost infinite choices bound only by moral and religious codes that are often ignored anyway. We have laws to maintain order, but most people will have free will to make decisions. A University of Leicester researcher estimates humans make more than 35,000 conscious decisions every day. To emulate humans, a computer would have to compute more than 10 to the 100,000th power moves, roughly 35,000 factorials. Even astronomers don't think that big. Critics dismiss generative AI and chat GPT as autocompletion or worse, a stoiastic parrot. It's way more finding patterns among thousands of words at a time. But the actual smarts of AI come from the human logic embedded between words and sentences. That's enough to emulate rudimentary reasoning. And AI's true power has yet to be fully harnessed. But thinking, nah, I'm with Turing. Why? Because life is about change and surprises. Humans are endowed with often conflicting attributes well beyond reasoning. Empathy, pleasure, ambition, creativity, emotion, love, loyalty, humor, responsibility, faith, trust, delight, despair, intuition, stubbornness. Add Freudian ID and ego, inner voice, self-awareness, soul. True AGI requires emulating all that. AI's trajectory is amazing and will outpace humans in many areas, but only those within 2D boundaries. Today's AI is a pattern-matching mega-machine. Sentient? Thinking? It may fool some, but I don't think we get there. In the movie Blade Runner, a Voigt camp test that checked pulse and pupil dilation distinguished humans from robot replicants. We need that, a foolproof modern Turing or Lovelace test. Hint, AI can be bad at puns and paradoxes before outlandish sentient claims overtake reality. And now, Our Dog Who Art in Heaven by Mike Kerrigan. My friend Paul had to put down Bear, his beloved 11-year-old black lab. Bear's lungs gave out, and Paul did the humane thing 
although not without, in his words, crying hard and often. Every dog lover understands, for we know all too well how our dogs love us. My mini Bernie Doodle, Sugary, meets me at the door when she hears me on the front porch steps. She jumps in anticipation, all four legs catching air until I enter the hallway. It's a love that doesn't diminish. This is my welcome every weeknight when I come home from work. I haven't split the atom, ended world hunger, or even brought her a new chew toy. Yet I am honored like Pompey the Great in his third Roman triumph. This nightly greeting has two effects on me. First, it makes me want to be better to be worthy of such love. This reflection, in turn, helps me to love God, whose perfect love never ceases to draw me out from my own imperfections, from the man I am to the man I should be. Second, it reminds me how silly it is to think I can love too many people or anyone too much. If loving is willing the good of the other, then there is no upper limit to it. This insight helps me strive to love my neighbor and to be an instrument of peace. Sugary is my role model, as Bear was Paul's. I like to think that this life isn't all there was for Bear. Years ago, Archbishop Fulton Sheen first perked up my ears, so to speak, on the spirituality of dogs. In his autobiography, Treasure and Clay, Sheen wrote that during his holy hour of prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, at times he felt like a dog at the master's door, ready in case he called me. British writer C.S. Lewis went a step further in The Problem of Pain, in which he made a plausible case for hounds in heaven. Lewis thought sufficient selfhood might exist in dogs and other domesticated animals that their immortality is subsumed within their master's heavenly destiny. For my money, though, G.K. Chesterton made the best case for dogs in heaven. In orthodoxy, Chesterton proposed that perhaps the one thing too great for God to have shown us when he walked the earth was his mirth. What is more mirthful than the thought of a surprise party on Heavenly Move-In Day where gathered guests include good old Fido? And who could keep such a joyful secret but someone with infinite patience? So chin up, Paul. I believe you will see Bear again. God surely has use for a creature that teaches us so much about love. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.